0: Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to this week's main episode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue, and today we are back with another ad-free spooktober main episode. Now let's get into it. This case is called the Chinese Ripper. Like think Jack the Ripper, but in China. Now, huh. in a small town in China, there were rumors circulating. Did you hear about the last one? The police were freaking out. No, I swear, they searched the entire house, but they couldn't find it anywhere. What are you talking about? What couldn't they find? The woman's breasts, they were gone. Her hands were gone. All of her private parts were taken by the killer. Really? I heard the killer even made a cup of tea in her house and drank it before leaving. How do we not get murdered? What do we do? Now, you didn't hear it from me, but everyone's been saying he only likes girls that wear red. So stop wearing red when you go out. Don't wear red ribbons in your hair. Don't wear red shoes, red coats. Just stop it all. I also heard that he likes girls with long hair. Maybe it's a fetish. Maybe that's what this guy is about. All of the local schools, they started freaking out as well. They had heard the rumors. Now, it wasn't confirmed by the police, but how can you hide the fact that people were dead? How can you deny that these women were found murdered in their own homes? So they start holding these emergency PTA meetings. Faculty, teachers, parents, students, they were all mandatory for attendance. The schools were focused on self-protection. How can the students be safe on their way to or from school? They had no idea that during their meeting discussing how to get away from who they called the Ripper... That he was there, one of the dads, he was standing in the back of the class, intently watching, listening to them on how to get away from the serial killer, debating if one of them was going to be his next victim. As always, full source notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com. But I will warn you, a lot of the sources linked are going to be fully in Mandarin. Now, I'm Korean, so I had the help of my fiancé's sister, Tiffany, translate all of this. Because I didn't want my fiancé to know what we were talking about. I wanted to... Because, you know, if you know the story, you don't have... I guess, like, your true emotions don't show and, like, how you feel about it. She said that she had nightmares afterwards. This girl is not into true crime. She doesn't watch, like, I don't know, Investigation Discovery. She doesn't watch Netflix true crime documentaries. Like, Money Heist is the scariest thing that she's ever watched in her life. And she said that she had nightmares for days after researching this case with me. So let's get in. To the case. Now, the Ripper is called Gao Cheng Yang, and this is a serial killer case. So, I'm going to start with his childhood. It's the only way it's going to make sense for you. And now, Gao was born in this really small town in China. He actually was a twin, he had a twin brother, and he was the youngest child. So, he had five older sisters, two older brothers, and now with the twins, the family has five daughters and four sons. That's a big family. When Gao was really young, his mom ended up dying. So all of the children, I mean, they were just raised by a single dad. And it was really traumatizing for Gao to lose his mom, but his dad really stepped up to the plate. He really devoted a lot of time, attention to make sure that the kids were successful. Well, some of the kids, mainly his sons. Okay, so this is the type of family where it was... Definitely more common back then, but Gao's family was very strong in the belief that men were better than women. It wasn't even a conversation to them. It was like a fact of life that women are inferior and they shouldn't really be treated with respect. Now, none of the five sisters were shown respect by their own dad or their four brothers, even the younger ones. So Gao just kind of grew up thinking, well, this is how you treat all women, just without respect. He was raised thinking that just by existing, just by breathing air with his little ding dong, he was better than all women in general. He didn't necessarily go out of his way to show any type of alarming behavior. Like he wasn't going up to his sister saying, hey, you suck. You should be paid less. Like none of these red flags, but it was his just thought process. Mm -hmm. It was just something that he took for granted. Now, regardless, the family was still pretty well-respected by the community. You know, they weren't rich, but they were nice people. They were, they were actually from a very poor family. And their main priority was education. They were really strict about it. They had these really crazy rules. They had a list that Gao would have to follow every day. And it all stemmed from the fact that Gao's great-grandpa was successful in the highest imperial exams. Highest imperial exam yeah okay so i had to look into this because i'm like what is that tiffany like an sat what's what's that like a lsat an mcat what's happening so this is how the chinese government back in the day i mean they still kind of do this to this day in most countries you get an exam to be a government worker well back in the day in china Mm, they would have these incredibly just difficult highly standardized tests They still have a version of this, but it's nowhere near as insane as it used to be. So when it first launched, it was a hit. Like it was a really woke thing to do because back then in like the dynastic period, I guess everyone was just like, hey, you're my son. So you're going to get whatever job you want. I mean, it was just reeking of nepotism. So when China launched this program, all the other countries were like, hey, that's kind of cool we should do something like that they actually influenced uh, the us to create a standardized test for government workers a lot of european countries came up with their own test based off of the chinese test wow yeah but back then those tests were like everything you pass those <laughs> tests you're <laughs> yes. going to be rich and famous like yes. that's the only go in life yeah and the whole thing was just trying to find government workers for skill, for merit, rather than who they were born to. And it was not easy. Like, this is, this is the golden test. You pass it. Like you said, you get everything you want in life. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy to pass. It's like the SAT, but a million times harder. You were locked into this tiny cell for one to three days, which is probably how long one of the tests would take. Mm-hmm. That's all you do. For three days straight, you take a test that defines the rest of your life, okay? And usually yeah. sorry, sorry. No, sorry. I usually love it. if one per- you win, uh, uh-huh. you became there's like a drawing Yuan, which is number one yes. of that year. Yeah. <laughs> if you become number one, the whole town that you're found uh you're from mm-hmm. become like the holy location. Like people will go there. Like so and so was born in this town. This is crazy. So it's like Everybody feels like they just won, you know, something huge. Yeah, Yeah. I heard like the town's route for you. They send people off to take the test. Yes. And like everyone in the town is like supporting that person while they're studying. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, right? I was going to say bizarre, but it is interesting. Now, inside this tiny cell, you had a water pitcher, a bucket for poop, because this is back in the day, bedding on the floor, and you can bring your own food and pens. Now, if a candidate died inside the testing facility, which honestly happened frequently- they wouldn't shut the test down. No, no, no. They would wrap his body in a straw mat and just toss him over the walls. They said, shh, don't disturb the other test takers. They got to focus. Mm-hmm. So They would just pop him down on the other side of the fence. I mean, this is so heartless. You would have to rewrite all of the Confucius classics. And if you were to even misspell a single word, or if it wasn't in tip-top writing, you would fail the whole test. They had over a 99% fail rate most years. I mean, I just, I'm so confused. So you're thinking, well, what's the point of this test? Well, there was a lot of reasons. If you were from a poor family back in the day, this is really the only way to break free from poverty and enter a new socioeconomic class. Mm -hmm. But there was also some really marketable perks. For example, if you were exiled, let's say you forked some stuff up, okay? You get banished from the country for a crime. You could actually pay to stay because you had passed this test. Mm. They didn't want to send you to a different country. Wow. Also, if a superior wanted to hit you with a stick for punishment, okay, Mm -hmm. in the government, as a government employee, if you pass this test, you can actually pay them a fee
1: to hit you less. Yes.
0: Okay. But like you have to pay a fee for every hit with a stick. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Google was like, hey, this is like the main perk. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, wow. (laughs) Oh, and also you didn't have to pay taxes. So I guess that's like something. So because the great-grandfather had passed this high imperial exam, I mean the whole family, they valued education they wanted another person to be the protege of the family and Gao, Gao being their youngest he was babied, they babied the crap out of him and it got worse because there was an incident early in Gao's life that really shaped the rest of Gao and his family's futures I mean it was intense, they were devastated Gao's twin brother had started working as a mover near the river, so he's like moving all this, I don't know if it was furniture, I don't know if it was like equipment, right? He's moving, he's just <laughs> running, okay? He was trying to make money on the side to help with his family, and he had accidentally fallen into the river, drowned, and passed away. I mean, this is not just Gal's brother, but this is his twin brother. Now, I'm not a twin, but I can only imagine the connection there is just so much stronger. It's so intense. And so for years it was said that Gao would run to the river when he was sad and just throw himself onto the ground where his brother had died and just sob all day long. And in these moments, Gao promised himself that he was going to make a lot of money. So much money. Mm -mm. He's not going to stay in this town. He's not going to be, his kids aren't going to work like his twin brother. No, he was going to go to college, become a pilot, leave this village and make so much money that his children never had to think about it never had to work so he studied every waking hour of every day to get into pilot school and everyone described him to be a nice kid if you ask for specific words to describe Gao, they all said he doesn't talk much he's shy he's honest he's reserved i mean i don't think he's ever had an argument with anyone i don't even think i've ever seen him get into an argument with another kid i mean it's so weird I also don't really see him leaving the house a lot. I mean, he's good to elders, respectful, really good to his dad. Even after it came out that Gal was the Ripper, I mean, his neighbors, they struggle to remember a bad incident. I mean, obviously it's a bad guy, but they're like, we would be lying if we said, oh yeah, I remember this one time, or oh yeah, he was kind of mean, like that would be a lie. So Gal applies to pilot school, but he has to pass the exam to get in. And the first time he takes it, he fails. Okay, that's okay. I mean, it's just the first time. You're just testing the waters. Do it again, Gao, right? So he takes it the second time, and he had failed just by a few points. Now, instead of thinking, you know what? Third time's the charm. I only failed by a few points. Like, that's just maybe a couple of questions I got to get right the next time. Gao is so pissed. Instead of thinking like that, he throws his hands into the air and says, you know what? Fork this. I don't need this. I'm going to be a farmer instead. So he doesn't end up going to college, but instead he starts uh, trying to get into whatever business he can. And the first one that he finds is the knife business, which is just great because he's going to be called the ripper later. So this is not the business you want him to be in. He starts selling these knives and he's obsessed. He loves the way that they feel, the way that they, I don't know, stab. Okay, He just loved everything about these knives. And the rest of his life, he would carry a small, short knife with him all the time. So what does this guy do in his free time with that knife, right? His friends said that he loved gambling. Okay, this sounds like he's going downhill, right? But it's not necessarily the idea of gambling that you see. Like this guy who's losing everything, he didn't go to college, and now he's just sitting gambling. It's not really like that. His friends would go with him, and they said that he started to kind of freak them out a little bit. It was just so strange. It's like Gao didn't even care about winning money, like most gamblers. He didn't have this like, oh yeah, I'm winning, like I gotta bet it all. The high of risking and winning something, like he didn't care about that. He didn't even care if he lost money. He would just sit there. All night long, gambling with a straight face. Some nights he would barely say a word while he played. It was just odd. all night long. All night long. So, like, why is he doing this? What is he getting out of this? I mean, uh-huh. it's just—it felt so bizarre to his friends. But they still—they still liked him. I mean, he was a great family guy. He was a good person. He took care of his responsibilities. His dad would become disabled, and Gal would patiently change his diapers, bathe him, care for him, feed him. I mean, everything. Everyone around the dad would always tell him, you are so lucky to have a son like Gao. Are you kidding? Other kids, they would have complained. My kids would have sent me off to a facility, some sort of care home. I would have, would have been abused, elderly abused. But your kid Gao, uh, I mean, this is insane. So as he's working, as he's taking care of his dad, he meets a woman at work by the name of Zhang Q- Qifeng. Qingfeng. Yes, so I'm going to call her Zhang. 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 Zhang,
1: Zhang. 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 sorry. Okay,
0: so he was just (laughs) taken by her beauty, okay? He had saved up all of his money. He didn't have much, and he would take her on these dates to eat fried noodles. And she thought this was the most wonderful thing ever. He would even buy her, the first gift he bought her were a $1 pair of earrings, and she loved it so much. This was her favorite pair. She wore it every single day. And her parents, her parents was like, that's disgusting. You need a man with some money. What are you doing? You're happy with $1 earrings and eating fried noodles every weekend? Get it together, But she wanted to marry someone. She wanted to marry him. She didn't care that he didn't have money. He was a stand-up guy. He was so sweet. They get along. Why shouldn't they get married? So they do. And she felt like she proved everyone wrong. I mean, she was so happy. He didn't flip a switch. He didn't turn into a whole new person once they got married. He was still the same stand-up guy until the second year of their marriage. She started noticing something was weird. So in a lot of cultures, uh, in Korean culture as well, it's customary for people who had just had babies who just gave birth to stay inside the house for a full month straight. Listen, I don't know. Maybe their (laughs) maternity leaves are a little bit different there because that sounds impossible in the U.S. But you don't leave for anything. You don't even stick your head out the window. You just spend a whole month bonding with your child. It's better for the immunity of your child and for you because apparently right after you give birth is like the weakest point of your life. So you need to nourish your body, get back to full health. You can't be exposed to anything that you can't control. You only eat like the nasty Asian soups that taste so bad, but apparently are filled with superfoods and medicinal properties. That's it. So she does exactly that. After their first son is born, she's home for the next month straight, not leaving for even a day. Now, that's bizarre. She usually leaves, you know. She runs errands. She goes to work. So she starts noticing a lot of things at home. Since all she has is time and she's just at home, the gal would just be gone for days at a time. Even during the time the baby was born? Yeah. And she thought it was weird, but okay, you know, it's, it's, I mean, she's confused. She's honestly angry. Where could he possibly be leaving me alone with our baby, our newborn? Like I got to cook, but I can't cook because I have this newborn. How am I going to feed myself? I can't even go out and run errands or even go to a restaurant and get food. I mean, she knows though. She knows that Gao had started working these odd contracting jobs. So usually after completing a new gig, he would disappear for a few days at a time, but he always came back with some money. So she assumed, well, he was just doing another job. So obviously he's going out to work, but really right now, like there was just a lack of communication. She just felt like I just gave birth. I mean, this isn't okay. It got so bad to the point where she couldn't cook because she was watching the baby. She couldn't leave. So she had begged her aunt to come who lives nearby to cook her food and they were confused. What's what's wrong with this guy? Is he having a quarter life crisis or something? Now, as a dad, Gao was not that emotional. He was more of a typical distant, cold dad, and he never really showed his sons a lot of these emotions until they were a lot older, and it becomes clear why later. And every time that Gao did leave for work and came back, he did try to spark some conversation at the dinner table with his family. So he'd be sitting there, and he would talk about, you know, I went to the neighboring town of Bayin. I-, I traveled there a lot for work, and I-, I tell you, there's some strange things happening there. Like what? Murders. They think a serial killer is on the loose. Someone told me the nasty killer took the breasts of the victims, sometimes the hands. In one case, the killer took her ears, sliced her ears off, and took them. What do you guys think he's doing with those ears? And another neighbor, you know, while I was down there working, said that he even drank tea in their house before leaving. I mean, bizarre. Gao's family and friends did not at all suspect that Gao was just simply sharing with them What he had done that day. Let's talk about the crimes. The first one took place around 3 p.m. And I think that's what's interesting about the Chinese Ripper is that he strikes during day, sometimes early in the morning, like when it's bright out, when the sun's out, buns out, like people are still walking around, going to work, getting ready for work. And that's when he strikes. It's bizarre. So by a 23-year-old woman, she was a single lady living in a small apartment with her mom and her little brother. And she had just taken this job working at a factory. And she handled lead and zinc. I mean, it's a hard job. But whenever she wasn't working, she just never complained. She loved to dance, went to those dance competitions at the factory. Yeah, they had dance competitions. She loved it so much, she would keep the little fake flower trophies that they handed out. And she always wore white shoes. Now, this girl does not come for money, right? But she kept her white shoes super clean. I'm talking tip-top shape. And Bai in Chinese means white. Bai, yes. So everyone called her little white shoes because she always wore those little white shoes and her name was Bai. Now, Gao didn't live in this part of town, like I said. He lived in the next town over. So that day in May, he decides to try and driving to local different towns to see if there's any opportunities. He wants to break into people's houses to steal their things. He just wants to do a little couple of burglaries, couple of home invasions, nothing out of the norm. So as he's lurking around the neighborhood, he passes by an apartment that Bai and her family lived in, and it looked like she was alone, and she was knocked out. She had just gotten off her shift. She's deep in sleep, and he thinks, perfect. It's going to be a quick steal. I'm going to break in, steal all of her things. She might not even wake up while she's being robbed. Like, how funny is that? But when he enters the apartment, starts rummaging through her things, She wakes up, okay? Because, are you kidding me? And Gal reaches over onto the desk and sees a radio. He turns the volume to max, and now there's music blaring, blasting through the whole apartment. I'm sorry, this is like nightmare central. So Bai is waking up. She's confused. Why is there music blaring in my apartment? I can't hear anything. I am like a little bit hazy because I had just taken a nap. And under the veil of this loud noise, he sneaks up behind her and starts stabbing her to death. And he said that the thrill was just too much. He was just so happy seeing the knife stab her. He tried to take off all of her clothes because he thought, well, I stabbed her. I might as well rape her. But last minute, he he just got scared. Well, what if someone catches me? How long have I been in here? What if I get more blood on me? So instead, he jacked a photo album that she had on her desk and masturbated to it that night. He masturbated to a photo album of the first victim's life that he took. I... So around 6 p.m. rolls around and her little brother rushes home and he is actually the first one to see his sister. So he rushes to the police station. You got to follow me, please. You gotta have to follow me. My sister, my sister. He tells them, I'm by his little brother. I was on the way home. I was going to deliver some water to her. And when I got there, I opened up the door and I called her name and she just didn't respond. And I just thought that that was so strange because she should be home. She only works half days. She should be home. So I walked into the small apartment and then, and then I saw my sister lying on the ground. When the police got there, they noticed that her neck was nearly severed. Her shirt was pulled up above the chest. She was naked from the waist down. She had 26 plus stab wounds. Her hands had a ton of slash marks on them. So it looked like she had tried to defend herself from a knife. She didn't appear to be sexually assaulted. There was some cash missing in the house and there were just fingerprints all over the place. Just every counter, just fingerprints everywhere. So the police assumed, okay, this is probably some sort of burglary gone wrong, right? Some sort of targeted burglary. Now, the town didn't have their own police dog. So they called up the neighboring town. Hey, we got a crazy crime. Someone's been murdered. We think it's a burglary. Can we borrow your canine dog? To try and, like, you know, track whoever might have been at the house because they had probably recently left. Maybe there's a scent. But when the neighboring town brought the canine dog over... It was too carsick to help them track the killer. The dog was carsick? Yes. Oh. So I don't know. Okay, so the sources didn't specify if it was a canine dog. (laughs) Turns out it's not. It's just a chihuahua from one of the police officers from the neighboring town. I don't know. Okay, but the, the canine dog was carsick and could not help the investigation. This is kind of eerie later. So Bai's family, I mean, they're devastated. The police can't catch her killer. This happened in broad daylight. Are you kidding me? They left fingerprints all over the place. You don't even have a lead? That's what you're telling me? So Bai's parents, they end up getting a divorce. And Bai's little brother, the one that found her, they had always been really close. And a year after her murder, he took his own life. And soon after, Bai's mom passed away as well. Meanwhile, Gal gets home and he's he's so nervous, but he has this adrenaline. He has this thrill, this excitement for life again. And he said that he couldn't sleep for days. He would just stay up reading these murder mystery novels and he would just keep replaying in his mind. Oh, crap. What if they bring the canine dogs? That was like the one thing that Gal was terrified of was canine dogs, because every book that he had read, every police book that he had read, the dogs always led the police straight to the killer. Sometimes even the killer's front door. The dogs were that good. He had no idea that they already tried bringing in a dog, but they were too car sick. Then his second murder. Again, in broad daylight, 2 p.m., a 19-year-old girl was living in her work dorm. Now, she was working at a cafeteria of the town's electricity building. And they had given her, hey, you can stay in this dorm while you work, right? Now, she had originally been from a farming village, wanted to get into the city, trying to find opportunities, trying to send money back home for her family. And her employer and her new coworkers all said, you know, she was quiet, but she worked so hard. But one day they found her. She wasn't at work. Let's go to the dorm room. They open up the door and she was found with her neck almost completely severed with 36 stab wounds and an ungodly amount of evidence left at the scene. I'm talking a huge mess was left. A mess of fingerprints everywhere. There was also sperm left. I mean, just DNA central. Now, this is back before DNA testing was the way that it is now. But compared to other crimes, this one looked like it was done by somebody who wasn't thinking. Maybe this is an amateur because, I mean, you still don't want to leave your DNA all over the place. Mm -hmm. But even then, the police don't catch the killer. I don't know if this has anything to do with the socioeconomic status of these, you know, women or the fact that maybe they were just women because even Gao's family thought that women were less respectable than men. Right. I'm not sure. They did not catch him. Three years later, the Ripper strikes again. So Gal happened to be working out of town on a contracting job. Now, this is a few towns away from where his house is, and he's, he's getting antsy. It's been three years since his last kill, and he was bored. His family's not here. He's away from his kids. And one morning, he wakes up before work. He grabs his knife and his rope, and he starts following a young girl by the name of Lee. She's walking around town, and he stalked her from behind, stalked her through the bushes. And when she finally starts walking towards her house... He starts trailing her closer and closer. And when she opens the door to her apartment, he pushes her in and forces his way in with her. So she starts screaming, what do you want from me? And he's like, give me your money. He ties her up and Lee starts screaming. I mean, she was terrified. And he claimed at that moment, because she's screaming, he was going to murder her. So he did. And then he raped her corpse. So this guy's a, a necrophile. Now the police were called to the scene later that day and they were able to collect sperm samples from the body because she was assaulted and the DNA matched the previous murder. They also linked him to Bai's murder through the fingerprints. So I'm not sure what's going on, but they still don't catch him. And it just kind of like sparked something in Gao because the upcoming year he goes on a killing frenzy. And he said to the police later, I just get so irritated if I don't kill someone. So his fourth murder was January. There was a 29-year-old by the name of Yang, who at 4 p.m., she was home alone when there was a knock on the door. And she opened it up, and it was it was kind of awkward because there was a guy standing there, and she's like, Hey, what's going on, right? What do you need? And he's not really responding, so she's saying, Oh, oh, it's not me. Are you looking for my husband? Because, I mean, why would this man be visiting her? It's probably for her husband. And he's like... Yeah, yeah, I'm looking for your husband. Oh, I mean, okay, well, why don't you come in? Let me give him a call, see if he's expecting you. So she lets oh him God. into the apartment, and later she was found by her husband, murdered. She was completely naked, her throat had been cut, stabbed 16 times, and when the police get closer to her face, they started freaking out. They had never dealt with something like this before. Both of her ears were cut off. So they start turning the entire apartment upside down. We're, we we got to find the ears. Well, who does this? You know, but they were missing. They tore through the place. They could not find the ears anywhere. Whoever did this took the ears with them. What's even stranger is that she had a 10 inch piece of flesh from the top of her head that was also missing. She was assaulted after death, just like the other victim. And the police knew. I mean, this is the same guy that killed the rest of the woman. And he's getting ballsier. he's getting more twisted. He had left her completely naked. He hadn't done that up until this point. He's taking his time undressing the victim. He's getting comfortable. It seems like he knows her schedule. Maybe he had stalked her for multiple days. How did he know that she was going to be home alone? He took his time. And Yang fought till her very last breath. So the police know it's only a matter of time. Till they find their next victim. They really had no leads on who the killer could be. They all they had was his DNA and sperm, but no leads. And six days later, the police hold an emergency meeting. Come on, we've got to do something about this. The town is slowly gonna start figuring out that people are dead, right? We're gonna keep it out of the news, we're gonna try to control the press as much as possible, but we're gonna have a scandal on our hands. And then once they find out, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna turn to us and say, Hey, why haven't you caught him yet? What's going on? So do any of you guys have any leads? They're starting to get heated. They're getting frustrated when the phone rings. So one of the officers runs over. Hello? Hi, I would like to report a murder. They find 27-year-old Dang murdered in her house. Her shirt was pulled up above her chest. Her pants were pulled down to the knees. She had these deep stab wounds all over her body. Her neck had been stabbed. And that is when they noticed the strange detail again. And again, the police tore through the entire house, looking, searching everywhere. But they knew. The killer had ripped off her left nipple, and it was now missing. Oh my gosh. They flipped her onto her stomach, and there was an 11 by 10 inch piece of skin and flesh that was cut off from her back. And that too was missing. Again, they don't catch the killer. They got a plethora of evidence. They got DNA. They got fingerprints, okay? A few months later, one of the youngest victims is found. Meow. She was eight years old. She had been left home alone. Yes, eight. So her mom was at work and her dad was on a business trip. And it was was summer break, so she didn't have school. And I don't think that she came from a really, you know, well-off family. They couldn't afford a babysitter. And they had given her rules. I mean, she's smart. So they told her, hey, if a stranger happens to be at the door, don't open. You know, don't leave the house. Don't answer the phone. They told her all of these things. And when her mom comes home from work that night, I mean, it's eerily quiet. Now, mind you, her daughter is eight. She's never this quiet. Even when she's asleep, she's making noises. So she tries looking everywhere for Meow, but she's nowhere to be found. Is she hiding? Is she pranking me? So she walks over to the big closet that they have, the big wardrobe, opens it up, and Meow is laying slumped up against the wall with a belt around her neck. She had found her own daughter laying in a pool of blood, murdered in her own house she was naked from the waist down she had a belt tied around her neck and she was brutally sexually assaulted oh my god what was really odd about this situation i mean they knew it was the ripper and it was odd that he chose an eight-year-old so he had been targeting like women in their 20s even in their 30s right but this is this is an eight-year-old what is happening right the police notice a cup of tea that was left on the counter so they asked the mom ma'am did you have tea this morning before you left no, no, no I i always do the dishes before i leave well, does your daughter drink tea? Maybe she drank it before she left or before she was, you know, maybe your daughter drank it earlier today. No, my, my daughter doesn't drink tea. So that means whoever did this got thirsty after his brutal murder, had waited around in the house to boil water, make himself a cup of tea and drink it calmly, leisurely before leaving. They took the teacup into evidence and sure enough, Gao's fingerprints were all over it. So again, they knew it was the same killer as all the other murders, but now he's targeting younger and younger victims. Now, what's a weird fact is that Meow only lived about 65 feet from the second victim. Like, literally, the apartment building right across. So the police are looking into it. Does that mean anything? Meow's mom said that her greatest regret in life was not deadbolting her daughter into the house. She had thought about it. That's the worst part. She had sat there and thought about, okay, well, it's going to make it so much harder for someone to get into the apartment, but... What if there's a fire? Or what if, what if Meow has to run out for whatever reason? It's going to be harder for her to get out of the house. So last minute, she decided against it. And every day for the rest of her life, she said she will always think, what if I had done that? Would, it, would that have saved her life? Later that year, Gao wanted another victim. This would be his seventh. On the day of November 30th, he snuck into the house of Chu at 10 in the morning. So broad daylight. Slit her throat, and started to stab her all over her body. She was stabbed 22 times. When the police get to the scene, they were, they were shocked. They thought that they had seen it all. But just like the other crime scenes, they start tearing through the apartment. We have to find it. Where is it? She was missing both of her breasts, both of her hands, and all of her genitals were gone. Oh, my God. The police are starting to freak out even more. I mean, what is the killer doing with these things? Is it some sort of sick trophy? Why is he doing this? Is it, is it for us? Is it for the sensational aspect? Is he trying to get into the news? What's happening? The ripper would later tell the police, no, I'm not taking those. It's not some sort of trophy. It's all for revenge. The more the victim tries to resist me, the, the angrier that I would get. And the more angry I felt, I just wanted to chop off more and more body parts. I would always have some sort of grocery store plastic bag that I would either take from their house or I brought with me. And I would place the breasts, sometimes the ears, sometimes the hands, the nipples, into them. And while I'm walking back home, near my house there's this big bridge that overlooks a river. I would just lean over, open up my plastic bag, my grocery store bag of body parts. And I would let the flesh drop into the river one by one. Before casually walking home. He doesn't even take it back. No. He just, because, you know, there's a lot of, you want people to rest in peace after they pass. So this is his revenge of like fork you. you try to resist not being murdered. Now the police have been working overtime. Maybe to catch the killer, but for sure to prevent the public from finding out, okay? Because they really didn't want anyone to know that there was a serial killer on the loose. But people started kind of piecing things together. Or at least they thought that they did. It, It was a situation where... Are these rumors? Because I didn't see everyone talking about it. I didn't see it on like CNN, right? Are these weird little hometown rumors that we're hearing? Or is this the truth? Is the police hiding something? It was kind of like that environment and no details were coming out. So people in this town started gathering together. They would gather on the phone. Sometimes they they would huddle over dinner together, whispering about what do we do if this is true? What do we do if the serial killer, we come face to face with them? Well, no, no, the killer only attacks women wearing red. You don't even wear the color red. You don't have to worry about it. Why? Why does he do that? Well, I think it's because, you know, the color of blood is red. So maybe he's bloodthirsty. That makes sense. No, I heard it's because a girl that he loved rejected him and her favorite color was red. She only wore red. Really? I heard that it's like not girls wearing red, but girls with long hair. Because he has a fetish for them. Uh, No. I didn't hear it was a fetish. I heard it's easier to grab you if you try running away because your hair's so long. That's what I heard. So, but at the end of all of this, the whispers, the people gathering together, it all kind of had this, this like conspiracy hoax vibe. Mm -hmm. So some people, yeah, they did take it seriously. Some people threw out every piece of red article of clothing that they owned. Some people was like, okay, that's so dumb. (laughs) Like, what are my parents reading on WeChat? Like, that was the vibe. It all sounded like some sort of urban legend. Now, I'm not sure which came first because there is a very prominent urban legend in like, I want to say East Asia, where in Korea we talk about it too, about a serial killer that targets people in red, girls in red. In Korea, it's specifically red shoes. If a girl is wearing red shoes, there's a serial killer who will kill you. I mean, there's a whole saga of red shoes, by the way, being used for super sinister things. I mean, this goes long before the Ripper of China or any of these like urban legends. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's not a common shoe color. Maybe it's the symbol of blood. But there's been a fairy tale since 1845 about red shoes it centers around a little girl by the name of karen now karen was from a very poor family and she had these torn up red shoes that she treasured these were her babies she appreciated them loved them but then her parents tragically died when she was super young so she gets adopted by this old rich lady who spoils her to death and karen's request is i want to have a pair of red shoes fit perfectly for me made of the finest material like a princess would have And she decides when she gets it, she wants to wear it to church. And her adoptive mom is like, whoa, 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 that's inappropriate. Red shoes are symbols of greed, lust, fire, passion. For church, you should only wear black shoes. But Karen couldn't resist. She wears them to church on Sunday. And she's so happy when all of a sudden a man with a big old red beard walks up to her and says, what beautiful shoes for dancing you have. And he bent down and tapped her shoes and tells her, Never come off when you dance. And he slithered away. So after church, I mean, Karen can't resist. She physically can't resist dancing. It feels like the shoes are controlling her. So she's able to take them off. She becomes obsessed with them. Even when her adoptive mom dies, Karen doesn't go to her funeral. No, she goes dancing with her red shoes. But this time, she can't stop dancing. And an angel appears and tells her, you will have to dance forever, even after you die. You are the warning of vanity to all children. And she begs, please, I'll do anything. I'll change. But before she can get an answer from the angel, Karen's feet dance away in a waltz, in a twerk. She twerks away, twerks all the way to an executioner and says, please, please do something. I can't stop dancing. My feet won't stop. And so she begs him to amputate her legs off. And when he chops off her feet, the shoes and the feet still keep dancing. But that's not all. It's not Alice in Wonderland. It's it's Dorothy, right? Well, her red shoes, very famous movie. Uh, Judy Garland wore them. Very famous actor back in the day, actress back in the day, and her shoes were worth close to one million dollars. The red shoes, they were just covered in Swarovski crystals. I mean, beautiful shoes. They were stolen from the museum. Hmm. I mean, just so bizarre. There's like a thing, okay? There's a thing with red shoes. So back to the story. A lot of people took it seriously. A lot of people didn't. And then Gao kills again for the eighth time, November of 2000. It was 10 in the morning when 28-year-old Lou was home alone with her one-year-old daughter and her husband was at work. Gao had crept in to her house and murdered her. So when her husband gets back home from work, he sees his little daughter just bawling her eyes out him and she's one. So he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong, sweetie? Where's your mommy? What's going on? And he's confused, so he rushes into the bedroom looking for his wife and she's there laying on the bed, eyes wide open, her neck almost completely severed off, and both of her hands were missing. He rushes to call the police and he's confused. I mean, what's, what's happening, right? The police, the only witness that they have is Lily. But she's one. They don't want to traumatize her more. She doesn't even know that her mom is murdered. Like she is confused on what's going on. So the police take Lou's husband to the station and they just grill the crap out of this poor guy for three whole days straight. You did it, didn't you? Never letting up. But he just was like, I did not kill my wife. Why would I do that? I was at work, checked my alibi. It wasn't me. So as the daughter, let's call her Lily. This is a fake name, right? As she starts getting older, all she knows is that her mom is gone. And she's like, why do I not have a mom? Why does everybody else have a mom? And where the hell is my mom? She somehow finds out, like through the grapevine, that her poli- the police had questioned her dad for three days straight. So she keeps thinking to herself, why would the police question my dad? I mean, there's got to be something weird. There's got to be a reason. And she starts getting suspicious of him. So she would live for years thinking that her dad had something to do with her mom being gone. And they would just fight nonstop. She would accuse him and kept asking him things like, where's my mom then, huh? Where's my mom? Even the neighbors recalled that they would fight so loud you could hear them through the walls. And her dad was just trying to protect her. Didn't want to tell her what happened. Now, the creepiest thing is that Gao would later move into this exact apartment building where he murdered Lou. six years what? later. So his son, Gao's son, later is about to start middle school. And I guess this apartment was in a good district. So they rent, the whole family rent an apartment just a few hundred feet from Lou's apartment. And they stayed for years. And the neighbors who had been around since Lou's murder six years prior, they're meeting this new family, the Gao family. And they felt like, wow, the head of the house, the guy, Gao is nice, he's quiet, doesn't really want to chit chat, but is always out of town for work. They mainly hung out with Gao's wife. Now I can imagine some of them even told her about the terrible murder that happened in the building six years ago to a woman named Lou, that poor child. My God, imagine the the fear that the woman must have been in, in her last moments. They would talk. To Gao's wife. So now it's 2001. And the fear for who they call the Ripper, the Chinese Ripper, is high. You know, people are starting to get more and more, oh, whoa, I don't think this is an urban legend. I think some weird stuff's going on. There was a young woman walking back home from her shift at work, and she's married, okay? This is important later. Now on her way home, she doesn't realize that she's being followed, but she is, by the Ripper. When she gets to her apartment door and unlocks it, that's when she notices someone's trying to push her in. That's bizarre. That means they're trying to get in, right? Why would they try Mm -hmm. to push her in? So she turns around, does a 180, and she's looking into the face of a man, and she imagines this is probably the ripper that everyone's been whispering about. So she uses every part of her body. She uses her arms, starts clawing at him, uses her legs, uses all her strength to push him out of the door, manages to slam her apartment door shut and lock it. She gets her ear up to the door and she starts listening. She doesn't have a peephole. Is he gone? Is he waiting for me outside? What do I do? Did he leave? Okay, okay. Heart's racing. Okay, he probably left, right? And as her heart is starting to slow down, she looks up, and in the window, a head pops up, smiling at her. So she starts screaming for dear life. She calls her husband. You need to get home right now. It's the Ripper. Now, I don't know whether her husband was already on the way home or maybe he worked really close by, but he was there in record time. He's like, calm down. Just tell me what happened. She's going through the whole story. I was walking home. I tried to close the door Then his head popped in that window. Which window? And she points to the window and there they see it again. The Ripper pops his head up and he's smiling at the couple this time. I swear this sounds like a horror movie. And so they lunge their phone, they call the police, and by the time the police get there, the Ripper is gone. Okay, but at least someone saw him, right? At least we've got witnesses. They give the police a good report of what he looked like, but this is like every serial killer case. They release a creepy composite sketch that looks like nobody, but also looks like everybody at the same time. (laughs) I don't know how they're able to do that, but it looks like no one in particular, but it also looks like your neighbor and your husband and your son. So you're like, well, who is it? So nobody really could find out who the Ripper was. Then there was another murder. 28-year-old Zhang. She had just gotten off of work from the clinic. She worked at like a medical clinic and she was followed into her house, tied up in her bed and assaulted. Afterwards, the Ripper sliced her throat and left. So now Zhang is trying to keep calm. She's still alive once he left. So she reaches for the phone and calls the police. But all they could hear was some gurgling because her throat had been slit. And they heard either the words long hair or local. So I don't know if maybe it sounds similar in Mandarin, but they just couldn't really figure it out. They're like, Uh what did she just say? So she's rushed to the hospital and she ends up passing away. Now, there was a lot of anger towards the police in this situation because people started finding out, oh, wait, someone was almost murdered. They were taken to the hospital. Then they were pronounced dead. So there was a murder. But why didn't didn't the police form some kind of like roadblock immediately in the area? Mm -hmm. Why didn't they look for anyone in the near vicinity that had blood on their clothes because her throat was slit? There must be some sort of blood. They Mm -hmm. don't just walk away clean from that. But they didn't. The police didn't do that. And then the next day, there was another victim. A woman named Chang was renting a hotel room when Gao followed her in, just like he did with the apartments, and attempted to rape her. But she starts fighting him, and she was strong. She was aggressive. And the ripper didn't want to take the chance because maybe the walls are thinner at this hotel. He was just worried. So he stabs her, kills her, and then flees the hotel room. So now, again, people, I mean... There's the internet, there's phones, there's like WeChat groups. This news is spreading. It's no longer huddled around the kitchen, ooh, urban legend. Like people are like, oh, people are dying. What do we do, right? They're on edge. What do we do at this moment? What if he comes back? All of the local schools, they start holding these emergency meetings, PTA meetings, faculty, teachers, parents, students, all mandatory in attendance. And Gal goes with his sons to listen to how everyone is planning. How do we keep our kids safe from the ripper? How do we keep our wives safe from the ripper? And he's listening intently, taking mental notes, watching them, debating. And after the meeting, all the parents rushed to the teachers. Hey, we need more information. What else are we going to do? What about at school? Are they safe in school? And in the chaos of this, nobody noticed that Gao had put his hand on, the back of his, on his son's back and was rushing him out. Let's go. Now, Gao would later go back to his hometown to visit his family. And they start talking about how the rest of the family is doing. And this is kind of important later. Catching Gao up to speed. Gao, did you know five of your cousins ended up graduating college? Wow. So cool. So Gao was actually still a little salty that he never got into pilot school. That he never graduated college. That he's not making any good money right now. He's upset. He feels salty about this. And he's like, who even cares about college anyway? Do you know the most successful people don't even go to college? Well, did you know that one of your uncles, he is a local official now. Isn't that crazy? Maybe he's going to continue great grandpa's legacy. He's going to do big things with the government. And Gao was annoyed. Who cares? Who cares if you're a local official? These titles mean nothing, okay? They should see what I can do. Two months later, in the stress of just, like, hearing about all of his successful cousins, he decides, you know what? I'm just going to rob someone. I'm going to rob a hotel room. I'm going to make a little bit of cash. Fine. But in the process of rummaging through the room, 25-year-old Zhu walks in, and Gal felt like, well, she walked into my plan, which meant I have to rape her, and I have to kill her. What's crazy is that directly across from this hotel is a police station. So about 150 feet away from the killing, this would be his 11th victim and his last. He was 150 feet away from the police that had spent every waking moment of the past 20 plus years looking for the Ripper. So the police would finally find her body 10 days later, and they were able to connect the DNA from the crime scene. And sure enough, it was the work of the Ripper. Now, the Ripper has been operating for over a decade The police are like, we really got to catch him. Now, the main thing that always bothered them is that he wasn't like most serial killers. He didn't wait for the nighttime. He didn't move around in the dark. He didn't drag people into the woods. He didn't kidnap them from university parking lots. He didn't pick up hitchhikers. No, he would kill during the weekdays, in the mornings. Does he not have a job? Does he have a flexible job? Does he not have a family? He killed the victims in their own homes. That's risky. And they're all apartment buildings they're not single-family homes i mean sure some people might be off to work by this point but there's retired people there's people who don't work there's people who work night shifts that live in the apartment i mean it's risky to do this so there must be a reason that he does it maybe he can't kill at his house maybe he can't kill at night because he has a family and the fact that he feels comfortable going into victims homes he's probably a local he's probably comfortable with this town where people gather, what are the busy parts of this town, where the cameras are. And if he hasn't been caught after 11 murders, nobody has seen him leaving a crime scene, nothing. That means he's patient. He's studying. He's not disorganized. He's methodical. He studies his victims, their schedules. He doesn't just pick women to follow home that day. It seemed like he studied them for days. He would gather the information that he needs. Then he decides it's time to strike. He would follow them when there's nobody else home. And he would kill them. To make things eerier, after the murder, he takes body parts. He drinks tea at their house. He doesn't care to clean up the crime scene at all. He leaves, literally, the police had on file his footprint, his fingerprint, his DNA, sperm, blood, practically his whole 23andMe profile. I mean, you might as well have given a birth certificate at this point. They had all of this evidence. And they still didn't know who it was. So in 2004, they finally, the police, released a document to the public called the 805 Killings. And it essentially was like, hey, you might have heard of a man that stalks women back home, that kill women with long hair. Maybe they're wearing red. Maybe you heard this was a hoax, an urban legend to creep out women and children. And while nobody wearing red or long hair was specifically targeted, this is not an urban legend. There is a killer. He's killed 11 people, and we've been looking for him for decades. Now the public is pissed. Are you kidding me? I mean, a lot of them did hear about it. Some of them didn't even hear about this whole urban legend. Some thought that it was a scary story. Everyone, though, felt like regardless, if we had known from the police that this is not some spooky story or that we had even heard anything about it, if we knew that someone was out there trying to kill women and children, we wouldn't have walked home after school. We wouldn't have walked home after work. I mean, the victims' families were pissed. Are you kidding? We would have, we would have conducted our lives so differently if we knew. Mm-hmm. So the police, they go into overdrive. They're trying to overcompensate. So they try to match over 100,000 fingerprints from the residents of Bayan City. But the problem was, yeah, Gao was local. He knew the area well, but technically, he lived in the town next door. So his fingerprint was not part of the 100K plus fingerprints that were surveyed. Now, it was a tough situation for the police to be in. There were officers that did dedicate their entire careers on this case. So, for example, there was a police officer named Yee, and he had worked for the local police department for 36 years. 28 of those years, he had spent solely on trying to catch the Ripper. So in 2006, he gets sick with cancer, and he was taken off duty. And he wrote a letter to the public that said, to the killer, I couldn't catch you in time. So to all the victim's family members, I will be guilty for the rest of my life and I am forever sorry. He dedicated his entire career, practically. So now the police document was released in 2004, but the Ripper hadn't killed since 2002. So everyone's thinking, okay, well, maybe they're safe. But they also start getting scared. Why did he stop? Is he going to come back? And I'll tell you why the Ripper stopped. College. The Ripper's not going to college, but his sons were. Yao's sons had been accepted into college, and he was he was ecstatic. I mean, he felt like a failure his whole life. He never got into college. All of his cousins were graduating co- Oh, the uncle's a local official. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was getting pity from all these miserable family members. He hated going back to his hometown. But now, now guess what? His sons were not only accepted into colleges, they were accepted into good ones. They had scored so high on their test. And if they're that smart, if they're that good... That means he's a good parent, a smart dad. He was so happy that he even started planning with his wife about moving to that college town to be closer to his sons. And he specifically told her, when we move, I'm never coming back to this city again. Now, Gao's wife started noticing that he was acting different. Prior to Gao's kids getting into college, he hated going back to his family, his hometown, or visiting his parents' graves. So his giant pet peeve with that was, uh, in China, you burn money. Okay, it's not real money. It's not real money, but it's ghost money. So your loved mm. ones, they can uh, use it in the afterlife to buy things, live a life of luxury, even if maybe they weren't that rich while they were on this earth, right? And he was always so cynical. You really think dead people need money? It's so salty. But once his sons got into college... He started going back home a lot, visiting his parents' grave, burning paper money. He would even go to his Gao ancestral hall. So the Gao ancestry is very large. There's literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Gao's. I mean, there's a lot of prominent Gao's too. So this wouldn't even be like his extended family, like his cousin. This would be people that he's never even met before. Like, that's how big the family is. And they had built this massive ancestral hall in 1779. And some of the ancestors were even awarded by emperors of the the Qian Qian dynasty. Q-I-A-N. Qing. Yeah. The Qing dynasty, you know, considered a major and historical cultural site for this small town. This was like a tourist hotspot. Like you would have to even pay thirty five dollars just to enter. This family's ancestral hall. Like it's, it's built like a beautiful temple, like one of those traditional temples. And huh. originally he hated going there until his sons got into college. Then he would walk in with his shoulders tall, his chin up, because he's not walking in as a failure anymore. So the document came out in 2004. So a decade later, 2016, the Ripper was gone. He was gone. He hasn't killed since 2002. Uh But there was new technology. So the police in China decide, let's start going over these old cases. Let's figure it out, right? And one of them was the Ripper case. This was like a top priority. They go through all the DNA, run it in the system, and there was a match to a local official of a nearby town. Now, it wasn't a perfect match, but the Y chromosome was a match, which meant that the Ripper is male, like they suspected, and is related to the person in the system. Now... This person was fired from his local position because there was, you know, China was getting rid of all their like corrupt local officials at the time. And he was one of them. And Gao was really happy. He was like, yeah, that uncle, that uncle that everyone was like, oh, my God, guess which uncle is a local official. Well, that's the uncle. Yes. He was so happy. Gao was so happy when he was fired. But this is the uncle that brings down Gao because his files, his DNA was in the system. So this person is Gao's distant uncle, who Gao resented, right? The police rushed to get DNA from all the members of the family, Gao being one of them, and took them in to be tested. In August of 2016, Gao's wife, Zhang, she's busy stocking the shelves in the little shop that she has with Gao. She's a little upset. Because, you know, the past couple of weeks, ever since the police questioned her husband and their family, he just... Gal hasn't been focused on work. He's been acting strange. He's losing sleep. He stopped going out with her. His hands would even start to shake out of nowhere. Like, during dinner, his chopsticks would just be shaking. What's wrong with you? What? So then she sees a swarm of police officers approach her shop. I wonder what's going on. I mean, they're law-abiding citizens. They have nothing to worry about. Maybe it's next door. But in slow motion, it almost felt... They broke into her tiny store and they arrested her husband. What? What are you doing with him? Why are you arresting a hardworking family man? He's a good dad. What are you doing? Ma'am, your husband is being arrested for 11 murders. We believe that he's the Ripper. And she was shocked. So he was arrested 28 years since his first murder. And they started asking him, Do you know why you're being arrested? He was so calm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I killed people. When did you kill? From 1988 to 2002. How many did you kill? Eleven. He remembered the exact date, the location of every murder, even down to the apartment unit of each victim for the past 28 years. Did you go after girls with long hair or the ones wearing red? No, uh, my main focus was just young, pretty girls. Why did you do this? Revenge. What do you mean? He refused to answer. Each kill left me satisfied. I wanted to vent my hatred. Well, what, what do you hate? Who do you hate? He refused to answer. Witnesses said that when they saw Gao being dragged away by the police, he looked like a man that was ready to die. He was just eerily calm. Well, why did you stop killing in 2002? I mean, you're not that old. You still have your fit. Well, a lot of reasons. Um the last two victims, I felt like I was losing control. I'm getting older. I can't help but wonder what happens if I, I miss one? What if one gets away? What if one survives? Then secondly, technology. You know, there's too many cameras everywhere now. You mess up. You don't see that one camera on the corner. You're done. It's harder to get away. But more importantly, my sons are in school and I need to pay for tuition. So I, I was kind of busy saving up money and I, I didn't have the time. I got to punch in those extra hours. But one of my sons, he had scored number one on the standardized test for the whole town. And I I just couldn't help think to myself, you know, I I gotta think about his future too. What? Maybe me being a serial killer would impact his future. I didn't want to get caught. I didn't want to risk his future. You know, when I started killing, he was small. I didn't know that he was gonna do so well in life. But after I saw his grades and I started seeing him achieve all these things, I stopped. I don't want to ruin it for him. So this guy, this ripper who tore through 11 family members, terrorized an entire town for decades, stopped killing because his son was doing well in life and he didn't want to risk his son's future. Unbelievable. I don't even know what to say. Do you talk to your sons? Are you close with them? Barely. I mean, they're pretty stressed from school, work, and I just don't want to stress them out more. Do you want to see them before you die? No. No. I I don't think I have the face to. How do you live with yourself? I did it all for the money. What about the rapes? I was looking for a thrill. Well, what about the eight year old girl? I guess I was looking for more of a thrill. But this didn't make sense to the police because he had approximately stolen about $100 in total from all of the murders. In one of them, he had just taken one belt. He targeted people that also didn't have a lot of money. So what do you mean you did it for the money? A lot of the public refused to believe that his wife didn't know, but the police felt like she had nothing to do with it. I mean, she was so shocked. She said that her husband never cursed, never hit her. I mean, he wasn't affectionate and this crazy loving person, but he was, he's a regular guy. So then people started this strange rumor because they just couldn't get over the fact that how do you not suspect something? So they started a rumor that her neighbors came forward to say that they had never seen her wear red, that not even during the holidays. And that's why he never killed his wife. And maybe she knew that he looked for girls in red. Now, in April of 2017, he was convicted. There wasn't a public hearing, and in 2018, he was sentenced to a death. He did not appeal. Now, the day after sentencing, a police officer and a doctor wanted to interview him. And they were just really nice to him, okay? They were like, did you take your blood pressure medicine? I mean, it was just bizarre. There was a lot of public outrage about how nice they were being. Like, why are you doing that? I mean, they were like, oh, well, if you feel nauseous, let us know immediately. How's your sleep? They asked him some very pertinent questions like, can you think of a time in your life where maybe a girl has bullied you? Why are you so angry at women? And he mm-hmm. said no. Growing up, there really weren't any girls around. Plus, at the time, girls and guys didn't really talk to each other. They just hung out mainly with guys. Do you think you're a confident person? I guess not. Are you always this insecure? Yeah, I guess. Well, can you describe your relationship with your parents? What about your dad? I guess it's not that great. Why? I don't remember. Now, the police knew that he was lying because this guy has a fantastic memory. He remembered the apartment units of every single one of his victims in the past 28 years. What do you mean you don't remember? You just don't want to say it. So the police and the psychiatrist asked him to take a test. It's called the house tree person test, otherwise known as HTP. Now, what is the house tree person test? Every time you draw something, you're subconsciously projecting your personality onto a piece of paper. Psychologists use this so that they can learn more about your personality. It's not a diagnosis typically, but it's a better picture of like your emotional, social functioning, your cognitive levels. It's also a great analysis for children or even adults who are really guarded. So what do you do? So they give you a piece of paper. It lasts about 150 minutes and you draw a house and a tree and a person. And afterwards, they ask you a lot of questions about each one. So they ask you questions like, for the house, who lives in the house? Do people visit all the time? Is it a happy house? What is the house made of? What goes on inside the house? For the tree, what kind of tree is it? How old is it? What season is it right now? Is the tree alive? Who waters the tree? For the person, they ask, well, who's this person? How old are they? How do they feel? Are they happy? What do they like to do in their free time? So each one specifically is a different explanation. So the house is the expression of someone's family relations and values. So more specifically, the roof is the intellectual side of the drawer. So if they have a very reinforced roof, maybe they're, they're someone who preps for big events. You know, maybe they're someone who preps for un, un, unforeseeable incidents or accidents. Mm-hmm. But if they spend little attention on it, if there's no attention to the roof and it's just straight lines, maybe there's something that they're trying to ignore in their mind. Maybe they don't want to dig deep. They're just they're just trying to get rid of the ghosts in their attic. So they just get over it. The walls. It can be an indication of how strong someone's ego is. It's kind of like the pig story where they build houses to protect themselves against the big bagged wolf. What do you make your house out of? Why do you think your house is going to stand up if there's a tornado, if there's a storm? The doors and the windows represent someone's relationship with the outside world. So if there's no windows, maybe they don't want people looking in. Maybe they don't want to be receptive. Maybe they don't want to interact with others. Even the size of the house. They said that when kids draw houses super small, it means that the the kid is rejecting their home life. They don't want to think about it. It's not a big fancy house. It's not their dream. It's not a future. They feel small in their house. So they minimize it in their thoughts. So they draw small houses. I wonder how accurate this is. There's a lot of debate, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, about how accurate it is. I think it's really, I would say, I mean, I would probably see use for just getting some idea, not a diagnosis. Especially, like I said, for children and guarded adults. Because when you ask adults questions, they can try to be smart. They can try to manipulate. But this drawing, maybe you're not thinking that deep. Okay. How's the front door? Is there a pathway? If the entrance is cold or if it's blocked off or even gated, maybe it means that you're just in this like distant state of mind. You're feeling defensive. The tree is thought to be the deepest unconscious aspects of someone's personality, specifically the tree trunk. The tree trunk is the inner strength of the person drawing. So, if it has a lot of dark shading, it might mean that you have anxiety about your own personality, about your own self. Maybe you're scared of what you are capable of doing. Maybe if you have a tiny trunk with large branches, it means that you feel overwhelmed or unsatisfied. You've got all these connections in the world, but your trunk isn't full. You're just unhappy. The branches show a degree of social connectedness. If they're bare, that means maybe you don't have meaningful social connections. If there's foliage, if there's lots of leaves, if there's a lot of connections, maybe you have a lot of love in your life. Now, the person represents the ideal self and how you have social interactions. The arms and the hands of the drawing can indicate a lot. Positions of the hands, are they open? Are the fists closed? Are you holding something? Legs also reveal emotions. Are they walking forward, away? Are they facing the drawer? Are they turned to the side? Are they leaning up against something? If someone spends a lot of detail, if a lot of time drawing the details of a face, that means that they feel the need to be socially presentable all the time. They want people to love them. Typically drawings lacking details indicate depression. Because you do have 150 minutes to draw. Mm -hmm. So people, you know, consciously and subconsciously, you'll just end up adding a lot of details. Even Mm -hmm. down to the location of the objects, they say top of the paper means that they're dreaming. It's an imagination. Bottom is, it's, it's grounded in reality. Right is future linked. Center is present. Left is past. If you keep redrawing your lines, or if you have one clean line that says a lot, so too many redraws means that you're either insecure or dissatisfied, or maybe you're a perfectionist. Also, how you respond to the test is considered. Are you agitated by drawing? Are you happy? How do you feel? So there's a 350-page manual, an interpretive guide in, a mis- oh in administering gosh. and scoring the HTP test. Yeah. So it's intense. Now, the person that Gao drew was naked. People thought that was bizarre because, I mean, typically people will draw clothed people, yeah. right? And The house that he drew this is where it gets even weirder now i'm sure you're imagining what i'm imagining just like a white picket fence house a block with a roof he drew like a temple and this is in 2016 2018 really so it's not the time where people were living in temples and it looked very similar to his ancestral hall so the speculation was that he had this ego that he wanted a legacy that he wanted to be remembered to be respected okay okay i can see that and the temple i mean it took up most of the page but gao he was facing away from the temple and he was naked i mean it was just strange the temple is this pure holy place meanwhile the naked body in most situations i would say is also pure and holy but when it's a rapist or a serial killer drawing it i just wouldn't say that it represents purity yeah So there was a lot of interpretations about it. I mean, I just think it's fascinating. Like, I didn't see that. I saw a lot of examples while I was trying to research this HTP test thing, and Mm -hmm. most of them are what you would imagine. But his was a naked person in a temple. Now, during the trial, Gao was calm in such an eerie way. When he was describing the way that he killed people, he would adjust his mic because he wasn't loud enough for the judge. It was almost like he was in a PTA meeting. And in January of 2019, Gao was executed. Now, do you remember Lily, who had been fighting with her dad because she felt like her dad had something to do with it? Mm -hmm. At the point of the trial, I mean, she was old. She was an adult now. And she realized her dad had nothing to do with her mom's disappearance. Her mom was murdered by the Ripper. And she said from that moment, when she found out, she stopped fighting with her dad. They got closer and they were able to find closure together to move on. And that is the story of the Chinese ripper. Let me know what are your thoughts on this whole case. And I hope you guys enjoyed. And I'll see you guys on Sunday for a mini Bye!